You're now listening to episode 37 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costello here today with Gino Barbaro, owner of over 1,100 multifamily units and co-founder of Jake and Gino and the popular Wheelbarrow Profits podcast. Today, we discuss how they built a vertically integrated multifamily business, broke into the syndication space, how they handle accounting and taxes, plus more. Before we jump right into today's episode, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and like us on Facebook for bite-sized videos on accounting and tax tips that will help you reduce your tax bill and streamline your accounting process. The links are included in the show notes, but you can also find us by searching for The Real Estate CPA on YouTube and Facebook. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into today's episode. Gino, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Would you mind giving our listeners a little bit of a background on how you got started in the real estate space? First of all, Brandon and Thomas, I just want to thank you for having me on and sharing my story. I got into real estate just like everybody else. I just wanted to get out of the rat race. I wanted to get passive income. I had a restaurant for 20 years. And if anybody who's in the restaurant business knows how hard that job is, seven days a week, weekends, holidays, Christmas, the pain was there. And I didn't want to fix and flip. I wanted to go right to multifamily. So that's how I got started. I got started. I knew what my why was. I think everyone needs to be a little clear and have clarity on what their why is. And for me, my why was I wanted to start building a portfolio, start hitting a certain passive income level, and then leaving the restaurant. It's just as simple as that. Nice, nice. So a lot of people get in through, you know, through uh, the need for passive income or wanting to leave their W two job. In your case, your business. Um, out of all of the assets out there in in the real estate space, you know, there's self storage, there's single family houses. What about multifamily specifically? Drew you in? Well, Thomas, I had a bad experience with mobile home parks about ten or eleven years ago. It wasn't the actual asset itself. It was me. I wasn't educated on it. I went with a partner and a sponsor who was, for lack of a better word, just. A moron, you know what I mean? That's what I made me a moron for going with him, right? So that's what really inspired me to say, hey, listen, I've got to learn an asset and I've got to learn a niche. Let me pick. It was either between self-storage, which I like. I love the expense ratios. But the thing is, self-storage truly is a business. It's it's a little bit more, I mean, multifamily is a business, but self-storage, it's renting out 13 months, turning these places over. And I I just didn't feel like I liked that. It was even more fragmented back then than the multifamily space. But I said, people need to live somewhere. I had bad experience with office space back in 08, 09. You saw when the great, great recession came. Everyone's downsizing. We're all having this podcast right now in our respective homes. We don't need offices. That's the problem. Retail's getting crushed. My, my boy Jake likes to say, you can't live in the internet. So multifamily is what I like. You have the bonus depreciation, which you guys know about. We love cost segregation. We love the fact that we're buying on actual numbers and we can actually force the appreciation. So many things I like about multifamily, but more than anything, people need a place to live. And that's where the money's rotating to now. And fortunately for me, I got in five or six years ago, was buying right, and we're still continuing to buy right in the cycle. So yeah, we, we all love multifamily. I know I started my kind of investing career right into the multifamily space. Did you explore single families first? Did you own any of those and decide to graduate to multifamily? Or was it just right, just right into, you know, after the mobile home bargain center, right into multifamily? So back in 2002, I bought my first fourplex with my brother did the same exact thing that every newbie investor makes mistakes on. I overfixed the property. 
I call them the Great Wall of China. These beautiful stone walls. They could have been railroad ties, right? I spent overspent on that. I've overspent on the fix. I overspent on everything. But things, I bought it right. And it was four units. And it was right next to my restaurant. So I was using it as storage. So for me, it really worked, that, that asset, back in 2002. In 06, I bought a commercial strip mall. It had retail. It had industrial. It had office. All three mixed. Bought it right. Problem was, when the market reset, Bad market. I was up in Dutchess County, New York. If anybody's from Dutchess County, you know the demographics up there are terrible. There's no job growth. There's no population growth. The taxes are terrible. So I learned my lesson there. From that, I went and we had the restaurant. So it was a mixed-use property. It was three apartments upstairs, the restaurant downstairs. And one thing that I found very curious was in the wintertime when it snows in New York, the restaurant doesn't make money. My mom was making money every day with those apartments. doesn't matter if it snows or not. She was collecting rent. I said, I like that. That's something that I need. I didn't want to do single family homes. So my first step out of my market was in Rochester, New York. I was buying duplexes. Um, I was getting coached by a rich dad coach. He said, you know what? Go for cash flow. If I had known back then what I know now, I might not have gone to Rochester. But for me, it was a great learning experience because it was out of my market. I learned how to deal with property management companies. I really knew how to underwrite deals. And I was buying deals for cash flow. The assets, the only problem for me was I couldn't scale up. So buying a duplex here and a duplex there. Property management company was doing well, but for me, my cash flow at the end of the month on these houses was not that much because they were older houses. So in 2013, I sold the properties. I bought them back in 08 and 09 for third. One was 34,000 a unit for two units, and the other one was 55,000 for two units. Five years later, they didn't appreciate. I sold them off and I moved myself down to Tennessee. Nice, nice. And we are, one of the things that I did see, I did notice, I, I listened to one of your podcasts, uh, your journey to a thousand units and something that struck out to me and always, you know, was uh, intriguing to me about your, 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 you know, Jake's story is you guys got to over 1100 units without the use of syndication. And uh, many people, that's, a, that's an achievement um, for sure. And uh, just kind of wanted, could you give us an overview on how you were able to do that without using, you know, other people's money? Well, the thing is, we were equity hounds. We wanted equity. That's what we wanted. We wanted to have our own little portfolio. So we started out with a 25-unit property back in 2013. And I think multifamily lends itself to having partners. You need partners with day-to-day. You need partners to help raise capital. You need partners with a strong balance sheet. You need partners for support, right? You need all those partnerships. So we started out with me, myself, Jake, and my brother, Mark. So give you the overview on that first deal. It was a $600,000 deal, 10% owner financing, and 80% bank financing, we had to come up with 10% of the down payment, which came out to about $83,000 with closing costs. Split three ways, it was twenty-seven grand for each of us. Now, not a ton of money, but still, for some people, that's a lot of money. I said, let's try. Let's try proof of concept. 25 little units. It had a six-unit little motel. It had little cottages all over the place. I loved it. I fell in love with it, Tom. You should never fall in love with real estate, but I love, fell in love with this first deal. And what happened was, after 18 months... We really did a lot of work on it. We had weekly renters there. We turned everybody to monthly renters. We took care of the expenses. The property was valued at over 850 grand. We were able to refi that property out over $160,000. We pulled it out. We used some of that money as CapEx to finish the, uh, the repairs. But we rolled that money into our next deal. So that's how we started doing it. We started refining these properties and rolling the money into the next deal. We started with community financing. From community banks, we would roll our money into community banks again on the on the first one, and then from community banks, we would roll into agencies. So to date, we've been able to refinance almost nine million nine million dollars of our portfolio, and that's how we've been able to grow and expand. And one of our deals, our two hundred eighty one unit deal, we were able to buy an eleven million dollar deal with no money down. The seller held twenty percent note on that. Now that was our fourth or fifth deal, so we had credibility. We had the team, and that was like they gave us the keys. The guy was so burned out, he tried to sell to his brother. Brother almost lost it. He took it back. 
took a chance on us. So that was massive for us. We got that deal. And then from there, just keep refining these properties, not going on vacation, not buying the Ferrari, and just putting that money back into the properties. And we hit a thousand units before we syndicated our first deal. We did our first syndication back in November. And guys, think big, think massive, but start small. From a 25 little unit crack den that we started, we're at 1,100 units and it's you get the momentum, you get the experience, you make those mistakes, you can readjust. We had septic fields failing, we had people suing us for bed bugs, we had people dying on our properties. I mean, on 25 units, you can handle that. On your first one, right? I'm not even making that up, bro. I can keep going, having pigs in apartments, having you know pills and what the heck are pills and needles, the whole, the whole thing. But just start small and then you'll see as you grow, you get more experience and it's proof of concept because like everything else, you go to college for four years. How long do you go to become a CPA? It takes you a long time. Don't expect to be successful in multifamily, especially if you don't have a mentor or a coach within the first year. We took us 18 months to find our first deal. I had experience. I had a balance sheet and I still took 18 months to do it. So start small and you start buying and you start building momentum. You'll get more people on your team and you'll be able to expand. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Now, I'm assuming that with part of that growth, I know that you guys have kind of vertically integrated by in-housing some of these services. You Mm -hmm. talked about your team. So talk to me a little bit about that. What what does that look like? Like at what threshold were you like, we need to bring this stuff in-house, especially on the property management side of the business? Well, we were fortunate because Jake hated his job more than I did. So from day one, he started property managing. So the first property had 13 grand a month in revenue. We were paying him 10% to property manage. So he's making 1300 bucks a month. The second deal we bought four months after the first. So our revenue was up to $25,000 a month. He was making 2,500 bucks a month in property management. Our third deal was in February of 2014, which was a year after the first deal. So at that point, we had 200 units. Jake was ready to quit. The property management was in-house. And what's great about multifamily, you can go on, but it was scalability and it was actually able to actually hire a property manager. You can actually have somebody in the office without you sitting there. You can have help. You can hire maintenance guys out. And that's what helped us out. So the property management was the first part, what I call the multifaceted. So if you see my hand right here, for everyone who's on YouTube, you can see it. If not, that's the hub. The investment is the hub. That's the first deal. The second, first hub, by what we call multifaceted, the first stream of income was our property management company. It was awesome because we were controlling it. We started to become vertically integrated. The second one was Jake and Gino. When we bought the 200 units after a year and a half, we wrote a book. We started a podcast. That's another form of revenue. And even better than that, I mean, I just told you guys, podcasting, Ken McElroy, you know, uh, we got Robert Kiyosaki, T. Harv Ecker, Cameron Harold, the list goes on and on. The, the amazing mastermind that was able to do the podcast and all the vendors that we collected and the credibility that it gives you created out of the multiple stream. Uh, in the last six months, we started a syndication company with our investors. We have over 800 investors on our database right now. So that's another stream of revenue coming out. So we're trying to be vertically integrated in every aspect of the business. We just started a capital company. We're going to start giving out loans to our students also and loans to ourselves. So it starts small from a little 25-unit property. Don't look 10 years down the road. Just do your daily tasks, do your daily grinds, get your weekly wins. And then at the end of the year, assess where you want to be. And I can guarantee you, if you stick with it and you grow with a great team, you'll have the opportunity to do the same thing we did. So since you've been on both sides of the business, specifically talking about the property management side again, do you have any tips for multifamily investor syndicates that are working with a property manager? How can they better work with that property manager to uh, get what they want operationally and also the financial reports, the accounting? Like Any quick tips that come to mind? Um, I'm looking for a book in my bookshelf. Uh, you have to think of property management as a business. You have to think of it as a customer journey. Uh, Joey Coleman wrote the book, I think, Never Lose a Customer in 30 Days. 
You want your property management company to have certain systems in place. When the phone rings, they need to pick it up. When a customer comes in the office, they need to get up. It's all customer driven. It's not being customer uh, reactive. You need to be proactive. You need to actually see what's going on and take care of it. You need to hold your property management company accountable. Just because they're managing the asset doesn't mean you manage them. You need to be on at least bi-weekly calls with them. Give them key performance indicators. What are your delinquencies? Why is it the 15th of the month and we still have six units that aren't collected rent? Why is that eviction not taking place? You need to be managing them more than anything else because they will drop the ball. It's not in their best interest. They're getting paid 10%. You need to be drop the ball. The other thing is don't be afraid to pay them because it's a really hard business. Don't nickel and dime them. Whatever the contract says, pay them fair market value and give them what they deserve because it's a hard business. Because dealing with tenants that are always screaming at you, you know, it's emotional because you're dealing with people who live in an apartment. So it can be very confrontational. So you have to support them, but they really need to look at it as the as, as a business. So go out, read that book. It's great because a customer journey from the very first part, your tenant is assessing you whether they want to live with you all the way up to the final step, which is an advocate, which is they love you. And they're going to start referring stuff. Everything in the middle can be mapped out and can be a journey and can be systematized. Yeah. And I guess you could say that really about any business, any right? Business. What, what is the customer <clears throat> journey on the syndication side, on the lending side, on the CPA side? Uh, so that that's a really good tip there. Now you you mentioned that you are just getting into the syndication space. You've already grown a portfolio to over a thousand units, and then you decided to get into the syndication space. So why why the change of approach? Why did you decide to now is the right time to jump into that that syndication space? That's a great question, Brandon. I mean, what happened was we we did our first live event back in November of 2017. It was 175 people in Knoxville. It was pretty cool. We had a lot of people there. All of a sudden, I get home. 40 people want to invest with us. Our investor platform grew grows to 200 people. Last year, and we had an event in October, 400 people. All of a sudden, more people want to start investing with us. We have a big investor platform. The problem is the syndication should be treated as a business because your investors are worth something. There's a lot of value in that. The problem is I was doing day-to-day management in the education, and Jake was doing day-to-day management property in the, in the property management side. So we couldn't be on the phone all the time with our investors. You need to cultivate the rest of the investor relationship. You need to create substantive relationships. You need to know what they want. And I wasn't able to do that. We brought another partner on. We created that arm of the business. And it's awesome because he's on calls all the time. He's been able to send out monthly newsletters. On our first syndication, we actually have webinars every month talking about what we're doing with the deal. So we're educating our investors. We're educating our students on how to syndicate. And it's an awesome business. But you really have to be beholden to the investors. So when I first started out... I was afraid of investors. I mean, if septic fields go out and I don't get any draws for three months, hey, Jake, we don't get any draws. But when you have investors and you have a 7% preferred rate of return, you need to hit that. And that's a completely different mindset, right? And I'm comfortable with that now. Our investors know. I think the biggest thing is you have to buy right and you have to be transparent. And what you're doing in this economy is you're always educating and adding value and telling your investors, what are we doing this month? Where's our revenue? Where are our draws? Where are the value adds we're implementing? How many units do we turn? How much money are we spending in CapEx? So it's been a shift. And I mean, it, it's awesome. I don't think I would have done it any other way. I think most people start with syndication. I don't think I would have started with syndication. I think, Brandon, if I had, maybe we'd have 3,000 units. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm just happy where I am right now. So well, I think it's really neat that you recognize your own weakness in terms of that, you know, bringing that partner on that can help actually facilitate that because we will run the finance department for a lot of these syndications and funds. And we run for some really big funds. And what we see unrelated to the finance side is that some of these folks that are running these multi-million dollar deals just 
aren't very good operationally and they need to admit it to themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they need to just step away and bring somebody in that can run that if they want mm-hmm. to continue to scale. Cause what we tell our clients that are running these syndications is that, Hey, look, you can get your K one out mid February, you get everything in line, you're delivering on time. That investor that you're delivering to, they're also invested in 10 other syndications. You're not the only one. And so mm-hmm. when you look super good, when they have the next 100K, who are they going right. to invest with? Your, your right. current stream of investors is the easiest to re-raise capital from. And it's, it's just so disappointing to see some of these people that just think that they can manage it all. And then it just implodes and they have mad investors and all that. It's just, yeah. It's so. hard because our head of investor relations also goes out. He's got to source deals. He has to underwrite deals, right? He has to make the relationships with the brokers. He needs to talk to the investors. He needs to send out emails. He needs to, there's a lot of work involved in that. Those investors need to be cultivated. You need to know what they want. You need to be specific with them. There's a lot of time involved. So I think, you know, I was still Jake, I'd rather have 50% of something than 100% of nothing. That's my mantra. I'd rather spread the wealth and re- rather grow the pie. And I think the pie can be infinite. So that's that's the way, I, that's why we chose it this way. You know, it seems like everything for you guys just happened very naturally. And, you know, I think the way you fell into syndication was probably the best way to do it. You already had the brand going, you already had the success. You weren't trying to go out day one saying, here's my first deal, invest 100K with me. Let's see if it works out. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's definitely awesome and definitely an inspiration. But I know you guys also uh, started Brand Capital just a few weeks ago. And that's, that's uh, maybe, I think it's on the debt financing side of things. Could you mm-hmm. go just a little bit about what Rand Capital is? Got a mortgage broker, brought him on the team. And it's, it's a great piece to it because now we have head of investor relations who can teach our students how to raise capital, what to say with, you know, when you're talking to investors, how to create a pitch book or a credibility book, how to create that deck. Now we've got a guy on the financing side who, when you have questions about financing, let's go directly to him. We have some great programs on the finance side. So that's why we created it. It's there. We want to service our, you know, our potential students and for ourselves. I think it's a great, it's a natural fit. So just another wheel. And you know what, Thomas, nothing comes natural. It took me a long time to figure it out. I've been on the, doing podcasts for three years and I wish I was better at it. You know what I'm saying? I wish I had more downloads. So it's just, try, I, I'm always the believer of ready, fire, and aim. Because if you do that and you make a mistake and you miss, you can always reload and shoot again and keep doing it until you hit the target. I think a lot of us, you know, especially real estate analysis by paralysis, when you get your first deal, you're always worried about the numbers right, the numbers right. Sometimes it's just a leap of faith. And if you do make a mistake, it's okay. You can course correct, you sell. Losing money is not the worst thing in the world. I've lost a lot of money. That strip mall lost a lot of money, but I made a lot of great connections. I learned a lot of valuable lessons and I took that with me going forward. So I will give you guys the benefit of the doubt. I want you to lose money in your first or second deal. It's not a bad thing. It can be a good thing because if you're real lucky in your first or second deals and you think it's real easy, you're going to escape by, then all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, it's okay. You've got to learn the business. Totally agree on that. I know when I first did my first deal on syndication, the biggest part that I overcome was that I didn't know everything. I was never going to know everything until I took that leap of faith where I just picked up the phone and said, you know what? I'm not going to stop until I get this first deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's worked for me. So I'm all on board with that. Take the action, do whatever you got to do to get that first deal. But you know, shifting gears just a little bit here, uh, we do have to get into a little bit of the accounting and tax side of things. I know, you know, it is a little bit boring, <laughs> there, but it is, it is fun stuff. So, you know, within your business, um, how do you guys handle your, your accounting and bookkeeping for your various businesses you guys have? Funny, when we first started out on our 25 unit and our 36 unit, we had QuickBooks. Jake would send up the stuff to me. I get all the entries done. 
Send it back down to him. And he's the worst of paperwork, dude. I hope he does not listen to this. <laughs> he is horrible. Like that, that's just not his strong suit, right? So he'd give it to me. Then my third deal, you know, doing QuickBooks with 200 units was just a nightmare. It just got to be so laborious. My bookkeeper up in New York was a disaster. So we said, you know what? We're going to go to rent post. I don't know why we didn't go to that folio from the beginning. We just didn't. We looked penny wise and pound foolish. You know, we got to charge a lot of money. If anyone has 100 units or more, you need to use that folio or a property management software that's going to help you out because you can spit out the numbers. We had 675 units and we begrudgingly moved to Appfolio. We should have done it a lot sooner. Once we moved to it, it was awesome because you know all the properties there, everything, the accounting is so easy. It's so simple. We have a bookkeeper um, down in Tennessee. We have the accountants down there. We're thinking at some point, you know, we have a thousand units of bringing it in-house. So that's, that's our next step. It's a I think it would be significant savings. We have 14 or 15 different LLCs for these properties, plus the Rand Partners LLC, plus the Rand Property Management LLC, plus Jake and Gino LLC. So there's a lot of moving parts. I think we can bring it in-house. Not there yet, but you need to do use property management software. And you need to use accountants who are in the business, who know what they're doing with real estate. And even the syndication aspect of it, we use CrowdSuite as our back office, we use it as a CRM also helps us with the K-1s, you need to spend money on that. I mean, unfortunately, when you first start out, you might do it all yourself, but raising the capital, Thomas, when you first start out, you can't take funds until you have all your documents. That moves real quick. So if you don't have a process for that, you know, you got to raise $2 million in three weeks, you're in trouble. So you need to have that all laid out. That's another reason why Brandon, why I didn't syndicate. There's a lot more moving parts with the syndication than there are with a simple buy, buy and hold property when you're doing it yourself. So just kind of echoing what you just said for our benefit, <laughs> spend money on professionals. We get syndicators all the time that will give us a budget whenever they're onboarding and they have $800 allocated to their accounting and tax. I'm like, man, you're not even going to get a half tax return for 800 uh-huh. uh-huh. I know that. It's crazy. I know. So you've been in the business for a while and I'm sure that you've heard a lot of different things. You've probably tried a lot of different strategies. What's the greatest tax advice you've ever received? Wow. That's a tough one. I mean, cost segregation has been invaluable to us. I mean, Jake actually able to leave his job a year early. He needs to do cost segregation, especially if it's bonus depreciation. And you know what? The studies have come down so much in price that something that's maybe five or 600 grand now might be worth cost segregating. I think the other thing you need to do is find a cost segregation guy or, or lady before you buy the deal, run the deal by them. Because there's certain things you can do before you buy, maybe allocating a little bit more to the building, less the land, whatever it might be. Run it past them because I think that's really important. The other thing is with accounting, I think you need to be on your accounting every month. You need to have at least every two weeks with a bookkeeper. I think Thomas and I, we discussed this on a podcast previously, but you need to be, I mean, one one year, about four years ago, I fell behind six or seven months of my bookkeeping. What a disaster that is. The stress going back, you don't remember stuff. Other thing, if you have an LLC, you got a checking account, you got a savings account and get a credit card allocated to that. Do not commingle funds. It doesn't sound like rocket science, but people are commingling funds because I deal with mom and pops all the time. Have proper record keeping. So when I ask you for something, you hit the button and I can run your reports because it's all about numbers. Because if property A is doing X and property B is doing Y, but they're commingled, how are you going to tell which one is doing which? So when you want to refi a property or sell a property, they're separated out. And plus, it's the right thing to do. You don't commingle funds. I can keep going on about a lot of these things that we see on that end. Um, Some student brought a 62-unit deal to us. She said the property has no financials. 12 people aren't paying. It's 60% and occupied. How are you getting debt on that? How are you getting financing on that? I mean, there's just no possible way. So you're shooting yourself in the foot. You need to work on it. You need to stay on top of it every month. If you don't like to do it, get a bookkeeper. In New York, I'm paying 35 bucks an hour for my bookkeeper. Great. She's awesome. She works from home remotely. 
And I just send them stuff. You should send me stuff. You need to do that. Especially when you do get into the syndication space, when you're managing other people's money, yes. it's it's a completely different ball game, right? Like my my personal rental properties, I don't do the bookkeeping until January of every year. But like you mentioned, I have one bank account per property. It's essentially its own bookkeeping system. I can mm-hmm. print it to Excel, run a pivot table, and it's done. Thirty seconds. But on the bigger capital deals that I'm a part of, that's not going to fly, right? Mm-hmm. It is every week, sometimes daily, you're in there making sure that everything is done, booked, mm-hmm. and ready to rock and roll. So yeah, 100% agree with that. I think more people need to heed that advice. But definitely, you know, we get the cost tech study a lot. I think that is probably the number one tax strategy to use if you're buying big multifamily properties, or at least to look at. And I think it's really important for syndicates to understand how to talk to their investors about what a cost seg study is and what the benefits of investing in a syndicate that runs a cost seg study will be. I just think that raising capital becomes that much easier when you can speak adequately about the tax side of the business and, and speak how or speak to the tax benefits that the limited partners will be receiving. So Brandon, the great thing is you don't even have to speak yourself. What we did is on our deal, we were sent cost segregating our, our syndicated deal. We had our cost segregation on. Come on. We did a little webinar, 15 minutes just for the investors, shot it out to them, made them happy as a clam. We did another cost segregation uh, webinar for our entire student base. That's something that is, are you going to monetize on that? No. But are they going to come back to us and go, wow, those guys are talking about cost segregation. There's so many benefits because I don't want to get into the weeds of cost segregation with my investors. I'd rather have a professional talk to them and discuss with them. Oh, and by the way, if you need him on one of your deals, please go ahead and use him. He's awesome. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And, and we tell our, so as we work with a lot of accredited investors that are investing in a lot of the syndicates as well, mm-hmm. we kind of work on both sides of the coin, but we'll tell our accredited investors, Hey, here are like five questions about taxes. You need to ask your syndicate. And it's not necessarily like, let's try to trap them, but it's really just, are you prepared? Do you know, have you thought about everything and how well prepared are you mm-hmm. to actually take this deal down? And sometimes the answers are pretty telling. Uh, so yeah, so <laughs> definitely agree. Mm-hmm. And so I know you guys have all these different businesses. What is your favorite piece of tech that you currently use in you know, any given one of your businesses? I hate tech. You hate tech? <laughs> you know, um, believe it or not, I love Zoom. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I Zoom, I do a lot of coaching calls. So uh, we use Zoom a lot. I use a platform, a learning management system platform called Kajabi. It's for our online uh, learning platform. I think it's awesome. What else do you use? I mean, there's so many different things you can use. I mean, we have live chat on our website. Uh, WordPress, our website is run by WordPress. Uh, I just, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, as far as systems, we use Appfolio because so Appfolio is, is, for me, that's technology. I mean, that, that is awesome. You push a button and bam, you got it. I'm just trying to think of anything other technology-wise. Believe it or not, this has got everything. I mean, you want to shoot a video, you want to do some testimonials for your tenants, you want to go and shoot some videos about your properties and put them on. I think YouTube is an awesome place to use. You know, cell phones, um, all of that, that's definitely some of the you know key, I think, you know, in any business these days, if you're not utilizing it to the fullest, you're, you're mm-hmm. missing out. And I know that you, you're you also into reading and continuing learning. Um, one of the books that I learned from your podcast, probably the, one of the best books I ever read was Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Um, what is something that maybe you're currently reading now that, that you recommend to? <sighs> Jake and uh, a guy, a gentleman named Jeffrey Gittimer ganged up on me about a month and a half ago, a sales guy, Jeffrey Gittimer. And they told me I need to read Atlas Shrugged. And I'm in, I'm halfway through it. I'm trying to read it. It's like 1,200 pages. Everyone who's read the book swears by it. So I'm reading that right now. Um, there's just so many books out there, so many great books out there. I think everyone needs to start with personal development. I went to life coaching school. 
became a certified professional coach. Maybe that's a little overkill for the average person, but take a look at it. Just Google it because it's all about creating relationships. It's all about getting clarity in life. And it's all about being able to build rapport with people. So if you're in the real estate space and you're trying to network with brokers, they don't care about you. You've got to care about them. To be interesting, you need to be interested in them. It's all about them. If you Once you can understand that, and you start asking those probing, those empowering questions to them, and especially to the sellers, why are you selling? That's really important. So Google Life Coaching School. I went to IPEC. Awesome experience. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't expensive. But to me, it was life-changing because I found out what my why was. you know, And then from there, I found out how to do it, basically. And I agree 100% personal development, big thing um, for anybody who's looking to be success in, in entrepreneurship and also same thing, communication skills. You know, I don't normally give advice on communication skills, but the one thing I did learn um, about communication is you do have to be interested in the other person. And one way to build rapport with somebody is simply ask them about themselves and continue mm-hmm. drilling down. When you, you catch that key item in that conversation thread with what they're interested in, you can really you know get them to light up. So mm-hmm. um, that's definitely key in, in any business, whether you're going to be in real estate uh, accounting or, or whatever it's going to be. But before we wrap up today, is there any last piece of advice you want to give our listeners? Um, if you're thinking about going into multifamily, just do it. Because a lot of us get trapped in the single family home space and think, you know, I can't do this. It's, you know, I'm used to buying a house, five units, six units, 10 units are too big. Don't think that way. Just think why you're doing something. Just be clear on why multifamily. For me, it was, I just wanted to actually really start a real business where I could scale up. I had one restaurant for 24 years, just one location. Maybe if I had read Joey Coleman's book for the customer journey, I'd have more, but I only had one. I've got 1100 units in five years. So the business is easily scalable. And that's what you want. The more people you can serve, the more money you're going to make. Just think of it that way. And don't think of real estate just as unclogging toilets. Think of it as a business. Think of it as an asset. It's not fake money. It's not fake news. It's real. It's a tangible asset out there. And all the tax benefits that you get from it, I mean, that's the icing on the cake. Let's talk about the cash flow. Let's talk about the principal pay down. Let's talk about the forced depreciation. Then what Brandon and Thomas are talking about with cost segregation and all those other tax benefits, that's the icing on the cake. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Multifamily is the way to go. If you're going to do it, jump in. And uh, Gina, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. It was uh, going to be awesome time. And I'm sure that our listeners are going to uh, love what you had to say. Thomas, Brandon, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.